prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the world of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. How will I ever again see your holy temple? I sank beneath the waves, and death was very near. The waters closed in around me, and seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was locked out of life and imprisoned in the land of the dead. But you, O Lord, my God, have snatched me from the yawning jaws of death. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit up Jonah on the beach, and it did. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Yeah. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's Word? Let's pray. Father, we come this morning. For many of us, our hearts are incredibly heavy. That would include me this morning. And we feel all kinds of things, confused, angry, just sad. Maybe some of us come this morning and and don't feel much of anything. That's something that we feel. It's easy to feel cold. It's easy when faced with the pain of this world to just get really good at just shutting down. But look. Lord, no matter where we are this morning, we are in your hands. You have power over our lives and over our hearts, over our thoughts. And so I pray, Lord, that this morning you would just open our hearts to you. We need you. We need to hear from you. We need to see your grace. We need your love to flood our hearts. We need hope today. Would you come and speak into our lives? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we've been talking about, this feels like a very uh, unique kind of morning for me, just in light of the past couple days and feeling like the the hits have just been coming and coming and very much been in the midst of, of grieving and pain, been around others that have been in grieving and pain just yesterday, and you've heard us mention this today, um... I got news, I was at H's football game, and I got news that uh, a dear friend, uh, pastor, Ted Strawbridge, served our congregation for a while. Many of you remember him. Many of you had the privilege and honor of suffering through some of his sermons. And that was Ted, and he would laugh out loud right now if he heard me say that. Because he knew they were bad. But he loved Jesus. He knew grace. Gosh, he knew grace. Uh, As Ashley said, he was not afraid of sin at all. And he didn't pretend that he was not a sinner. But man, did he know grace. 
What a beautiful man. And he really believed that God's kingdom was our hope. And that was his dream and it was what he lived for. And so my heart is incredibly heavy and broken. Um, just right now, even as we just gather together today. But also just over the past couple of days, another thing taking place in our community. Thursday night, this was homecoming week at Dade County High School. Thursday night was the homecoming parade. And three students were in a car on their way to the homecoming parade, had a wreck. One of those students perished. There were three seniors. They were in the band. And the, most of the kids, most of the students did not get this news until after the homecoming parade as everyone was gathered at the high school for the bonfire. The news was broken to all of the students. And you could just see the ripple of shock and pain uh, come across the school. Uh, I got a call right at the end of the homecoming parade. Uh, the administration that I thought has handled this incredibly well, the superintendent, the principals, the counselors, they, they immediately reached out to the local clergy and ministers and said, hey, we need you here now. And they brought us in, and we're stepping into this, and it's, it's, a, it's a really heavy moment. And I'm going in, and I'm thinking, gosh, I don't know what to do. Lord, help me. And none of us do in that moment. None of us know. But as we walked in, and all of the students are there right by the practice field at the high school, and they're huddled around, and they're in shock, and they're trying to process this. And we walk up, and the administration, the leaders of the school come to us, and they essentially say, Take over. We need you. The floor's yours, whatever you want to do. It was like separation of church and state was immediately suspended, and they didn't care what it cost them. That was a beautiful thing to see on the part of the, of the leaders of the school. But what began to dawn on me is in this moment, you know, in our culture now, we're all about this separation. We're all about, hey, uh, it's a very secularizing culture where we... We, we can't talk about God, we, we, can't, uh, uh, we don't want to mention religion, we don't want to talk about any of those things, and then you get face to face with brokenness, and death, and loss, and tragedy, and we just all intuitively know all of that garbage goes out the window. You could just see it in that moment. Everybody knew that unless we have some hope from above, we have no hope. There's no cliches in that moment that will do anything for that. And as we step into that, I begin to see this, this just kind of effect take place over all of the students that were there. And it, it was just dawning on me in the midst of that pain, in the midst of the questions, it was dawning on me the reality of what suffering brings into our life. It's like it's an immediate sobering of you. It wakes you up. All of the things that we're living for and running after and distracted by, which is just a reality for us, especially in our culture. In a moment, all of that is exposed for the emptiness that it is. And I could see that reality just coming over the students. You know, it's hard to get a student's teenage, uh, it's hard to get a teenager's attention. You ever tried to do that? It's hard. But I could see that every kid there, we had their full attention. And you begin to see some of the purpose 
that comes in the midst of our suffering. You know, the reality is, is in this culture, there is very little uh, equipment and ability to be able to handle suffering. I was reading just about this doctor. His name was Dr. Paul Brand. He wrote a book called The Gift of Pain. He was an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, He specialized in the treatment of leprosy. And for the first part of his career, he spent the first part of his career in India, ministering to some of the most broken people in society. And then the second part of his career, he came to America, where he was serving in America. And he talks about in this book the incredible difference that he found between those two cultures in their ability to process and to handle suffering. And here's what he writes. I think it's so telling in helping us understand the culture in which we live and the messages that we're always breathing in. And I think we come to see some of the struggle that we have when we're faced with suffering. Here's what he writes. In the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated but they seem far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. So what he, he came to see is that in this culture of India where there was absolute poverty, the, the brokenness was unimaginable, but yet the people that he worked with, the people that he treated, they had something of an equipment to be able to handle suffering. But whenever he comes and works in America, he's like, There was so much security, so much wealth, and yet they had very little ability to handle suffering at all. And in the book, he talks about why is that? Why is that 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 suffering is so incredibly debilitating in our culture? It's something we don't even even want to think about. I mean, even as we come this morning in the midst of sadness, we almost want to apologize as people are coming into church. Sorry, we don't mean to be a downer here. But this is the reality of this world. And and in our culture, it's so seldom do we get introduced to reality and suffering and brokenness. So he talks about why is that? Why is suffering so hard and debilitating for us in our culture? And here's what he says. It's because at the core of our culture, the meaning of life is identified as the pursuit of pleasure and personal freedom. The meaning of life, the purpose for living in our culture, and we're always being uh, fed this from, from, from media and from movies, and from, we're just constantly drinking it in. It's like the, 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 the water that we swim in, it's the air that we breathe in, is that the meaning of life is personal happiness and comfort. And it's why as a culture we get so fixated with security and safety. See, the reality is, is that whenever those things are the reason for living, and in a materialistic culture, it's almost always going to be, whenever your purpose for living is to have the greatest experiences and to have the most safety and comfort, then suffering and loss and tragedy is the worst thing you could face because it threatens the very meaning of life. This is the culture that we live in. And this is why we are so ill-equipped to sit in the midst of suffering and loss. And yet as we come to the Bible, we see 
over and over and over. Incredible purpose in suffering. I mean, it's amazing as you just stand back and you think about the Bible and you think about the Psalms over, the Psalms are the, the prayer book of the Bible. Over half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. They're sitting in loss. They're sitting in pain. They're learning to cry out to the God in the midst of it. They're not avoiding pain. They're not saying, hey, uh, let me deny this or, or maybe I'm not being faithful enough. They say, no, 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 just sit in it because it's the reality of this world and there is hope in the midst of it. God is at work in the midst of suffering. And the ultimate picture of this in Christianity is the cross. It's the heart of the Christian faith. is an instrument of suffering and death. More than any other philosophy, more than any other religion in the world, the gospel of Jesus has incredible resource for walking faithfully in the midst of suffering. So we're in the book of Jonah. I was just talking to Troy before this. I'm like, oh my gosh. We're in the midst of Jonah and this happens. This just, what we're walking through just fits with the book of Jonah. We've talked about how the book of Jonah is really about the Christian life. You know, we're watching this guy's life, Jonah, and it's really to be a little mini picture of what is the Christian life. We're to look at Jonah and we're to see a mirror. We're to see ourselves. Jonah is us. And as we watch, as we watch God interacting with Jonah, we're watching a picture of how God interacts with us. The ways in which he uses the things in our life to change us, not our circumstances, not the people around us, but rather to change us. It's always God's agenda. So we see in the book of Jonah, we see how God brings Jonah alive to grace. And we're going to see this morning how he does that in Jonah's life and how he works to do that in our life. So here we're in Jonah chapter 2. Let me just give us a little recap on the action of how we got to this point. We looked at it last week. We saw Jonah's a prophet. He's running from the Lord. He's gotten this call to go to Nineveh, who was Israel's enemies. They were a, an incredibly wicked nation. They were renowned throughout history for their war machine and their tactics of, of torture and war. The Ninevites were some of the worst people who've ever lived. And yet God is going to call Jonah to go to them and to preach against them, which means there would be an opportunity for them to repent. And Jonah doesn't want that. He wants his enemies to suffer judgment. And so Jonah runs from the Lord and God pursues him, as always happens when we run. And he pursues him through a storm. And we saw as, as Jonah has gotten on this boat and he's going the opposite direction of the Lord and God is coming after him, we see just Jonah utterly cold. Cold to God, cold to the, the other sailors that are on the boat. I mean, he's just, it's like he's dead inside. He's hardened to the Lord. He just wants to get away. His heart is shut down. We see all of that as we looked last week in this just characterization of Jonah. And then, he's thrown overboard into the water. And God sends a fish to swallow Jonah. Now, sometimes, especially for us modern readers, we see this idea of a fish swallowing a man. And we want to say, hey, wait a minute, explain that. Is that was that really a fish? And, and maybe this is just an allegory. And we, we want to ask all those questions because we're modern people, right? We're past all the 
all the miracle stuff. We know no miracles happen, right? You know, we, another thing that our culture conditions us to believe, which really most cultures of the world today and most throughout history would hear the things that we believe about how there cannot be a miracle and they would absolutely laugh. Because there's a lot of people who have seen miracles. And the reality is, is if we believe that God has made this world, He's made absolutely everything, and that He's governing absolutely everything. Scripture actually teaches that your heart is beating right now because God is sustaining it. We believe those kind of things. Why is it so far-fetched that God would send a fish to rescue Jonah as he's falling down in the water? This happened. Jonah was thrown into the water, and as he was sinking, God graciously sent a fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah is in the midst of this fish for three days and three nights. And it, now just picture what's happening here. His heart is hard. He's running from God. God brings him to a place where he's like locked in. I don't know about you, but whenever pain comes into my life, whenever I'm hurting, I'm doubting God, things are falling apart in my life, there's this inclination, just like Jonah, I want to run. I want to distract myself. I want to get away. I don't want to come to God. That's the natural inclination of my heart. And yet God graciously hems me in. He pursues me. He puts me in a place where I can't distract myself. I mean, if Jonah had a cell phone in the fish, he would have been good, right? He wouldn't have had to face any of this stuff, which is what I always do whenever pain comes. Well, let me just look something up here. It's an alternative to going to God just broken. But Jonah didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have anywhere to run. And God locks him into this fish and something happens in Jonah. And now as we looked at this passage, this is like Jonah's prayer, we're told, from within the fish. Now we don't know if this was exactly what he prayed in the moment, or if he has composed this. This is clearly a psalm. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. It, the structure is the same as psalms of thanksgiving that we find in the book of Psalms. We don't know if he later composed it as the content of what he prayed. But nonetheless, we see a completely different man as we look at this psalm. He was hard. He cared nothing about his fellow man. He didn't want anything to do with God. And then we come to this psalm, and it is completely different. Something's changed in Jonah. We see him saying, I called on the Lord. You listened to my cry. My my, uh, I remembered you. My prayer rose to your holy temple. And then at the end, he's like, he's just like sitting in the truth of who God is. He says, you know, when we run after idols, we're forfeiting the grace that could be ours. I mean, it's just like, he's just sitting in that truth. It's not in his head anymore. The sailors that ask him, who are you? And he gives this kind of heady answer of like, I worship, I serve the one who made everything. But it was just in his head, it wasn't in his heart. His heart was shut down. But yet in this moment, he's feeling truth. He's thanking God. He's saying, in the midst of the fish, I worship you. I'll sacrifice to you. I'll make vows to you. This is not lip service. Jonah wasn't saying because of the circumstances of his life, okay, I'll go to Nineveh, I'll do whatever you want. No, there has been a change in Jonah. In the place of the heart, 
he is now at a place where his heart is open. He's calling on God and he's saying, you know what, in the midst of the fish, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm in the midst of this darkness. I'm just going to worship you. So here's the question. What happened to Jonah? How does Jonah, and really how do we, how does Jonah go from this place of running and coldness from the Lord to this place of openness and worship and humility right in the midst of pain and suffering? What happens to Jonah? Here's the answer. God had brought circumstances in Jonah's life that brought him to the end of himself. That's what happened to Jonah. God came in with what's been called before his severe mercy. Maybe you've experienced this in your life. God brings some suffering into your life, some loss into your life, some breakdown, some pain. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, the results from a biopsy that come that just seem to just shutter, shatter your life. Maybe it's a struggling child. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something that happens like a loss of a job. All these kind of things are where we live. Those are realities in our life. And what God's up to in those things is to bring us to the end of ourselves. And that's what He's done with Jonah. He has brought Jonah through these circumstances, through the suffering, through the hardship, through the loss. He has brought Jonah to the end of himself. Where Jonah comes to this place and he says, I have nothing left. Now it doesn't automatically work that way. I mean, sometimes right in the midst of the pain, we continue to harden. Sometimes we harden ourselves more. It doesn't automatically do that. But what's happened for Jonah is he's come to rock bottom. He's come to the end of all of his resources. The circumstances of his life have stripped him bare, and Jonah in that place has chosen to embrace brokenness. Look through the psalm, just the ways that he describes this place that he is. And maybe, I tell you for me, Gosh, I resonate with these words this morning. Maybe these words speak into something that you're feeling today. But look at what he says. Second part of verse 2. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. Verse 3. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. As Jonah saying, I'm sinking in the water. We see that uh, throughout these first two chapters is the, just the description of what's happening to Jonah is that he's going down and down and down. He's going down in the ship. He's going down to Joppa. He's going down into the water. It's just this poetic description of how his soul just seems to be sinking down into the very depths, into the bottom. In the world of the Old Testament, the, the sea was the place of just of the depths, of the chaos. It was often a metaphor for just life and how it seems absolutely overwhelming at times in a way that we can't even make sense of it. And that was Jonah's experience here. Verse 4, I have been banished from your side. It's the experience of just being cut off from God even being, being able to see Him. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I mean, just the description there, just so vivid. Sinking down into the chaotic waters. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me 
barred me in forever. What a description. You just kind of get a sense of what was happening inside of Jonah. Through this circumstance, he is brought to the bottom. He's got nothing left. All of his resources are gone. Jonah's no longer under this illusion that I'm a good guy. That, that I can do something about my life. That I have any power over my circumstances. That I have any ability to save myself. All that's been stripped away. Listen, that's what happens when you're in this place. When you're face to face with suffering and tragedy and loss. Maybe it's even something that you did. Like you've blown it so big. And you just find yourself in this place where you're utterly at the bottom. And the thing to see here is that is the place of transformation. You know, we fight brokenness. We don't like brokenness. We like to be strong. We like to be in control. We like to put the mask on and seem like we're okay. Sometimes we think that's spiritual, right? Sometimes we think it's spiritual to not, well, I don't want to complain, and so I, I want to act like I'm always happy. Sometimes the church really gets deceived in that way, that we think that, that as we gather together, it's a place to pretend. It's a place to see, if I'm spiritual, I'm always going to be happy. That is just nonsense. It's actually a way of guarding ourselves from getting to the end of ourselves. Because we don't like weakness. We don't like brokenness. We don't like being out of answers. But the reality is, is that God cannot change us unless we get to that place. Unless you get to the bottom, He can't do anything with you. You know, as I was just meditating this week on where Jonah is here, it just, it took me back to my own story. It took me back to my story of coming to Christ. And just, just remembering it this week, it, just this description of sinking in the depth, that was my experience. When God brought me to Himself, it was a place in my life, I was a senior in high school. I was about six months into an eating disorder. I was in a place of depression that was so deep. I literally, this is how I've described it before, I felt like I was standing at the edge of a deep abyss and I'm looking over into darkness. This is how I emotionally felt. That I was looking down into darkness and I felt like I'm going to fall. And I knew that if I fall into that, I'm never coming out. Have you ever experienced that before? Some of us have known depression. Some of us might be walking in it now. Where you're in that place where the words that Jonah's using here, you're like, I know that. And that's where I was. I was at the bottom. How did I get to this place? What, you know, for me, it was like you know, an eating disorder. That's just it's embarrassing to share that. I didn't know what an eating disorder was. And plus, like, how did guys get that? For me, here's how it worked. Like, growing up, you know, here's the reality for all of us. We're all looking for something to find an identity in. Something that we have, something that we do to say, I matter because of this. It's what Jonah's talking about, clinging to worthless idols. That's what we do. That's the human condition. We, we have to find identity and meaning in something outside of ourselves. For me, here's what it was. It was being on the football team. I mean, Almost look at that and I'm like, really? That, that was my hope and my meaning? It was at the time. That was my identity. And then right before my senior year, I blew my knee out 
and football was taken away, and it was like this reality of like, what, who am I now? What is my meaning? What is my purpose? And, and almost immediately I found my heart wanting to find something else. You know, one idol was stripped away, and almost immediately I'm like, okay, what am I going to put my identity in now? What am I going to run after? For me, it was kind of this, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to put myself into uh, getting fit and into exercise and getting ripped. And yeah, that's going to give me an identity now, and that's going to give me meaning, and, and people are going to find me as, as someone who has worth. And, and I just poured myself into that, and it took over my life. It absolutely took over my life. And there I was, six months later, at absolute rock bottom. And yet, just as Jonah said here, Jonah says, in the midst of the depths as my life was ebbing away, then I remembered the Lord. For me, God brought someone into my life that began to speak the gospel into my life, the realities about Jesus. And literally through coming to just know Jesus. For me, coming to know Jesus wasn't so much at the beginning a real understanding of the gospel. It was literally being in the bottom of the pit and saying, Jesus, save me. And he did. That is actually the reality of salvation for all of us. Because unless you get to the bottom, and listen, bottom looks really different. I hope your bottom isn't as deep as my bottom. Bottom looks different for everybody, but you got to get to the end of yourself. you got to get to this place of brokenness where you say, God, save me. That's what happens for Jonah. You know, that's not just, in fact, how we're saved. It's actually how we grow. It's how we live the Christian life. We say this all the time. The gospel is not just how you begin the Christian life. It's how you grow. The same is true for brokenness. The way that we grow in the Christian life is not by getting stronger and stronger and stronger. It's by getting weaker and weaker and weaker. It's actually by walking in this place of brokenness. I love the passage where the Apostle Paul talks about his experience of this. In 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul talks about his own experience. He was already a believer. And yet there was some ailment in his life. There was something God had put in his life that brought absolute suffering into his life. He calls it the thorn in his flesh. Some of you might, have, you might be familiar with this passage. But Paul doesn't identify what it was. Many people think it was probably an eye disease. As you look at Paul's letters in the New Testament, he's... He talks in a number of places about his eyes, and he talks about some of the churches ministering to him in the place of his eyes. He couldn't write his own letters. The letters were dictated and written down by other people. We know those clues, so maybe it was some sort of an eye disease that brought just pain. It was a handicap in his life. And Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord. Take this away from me. I want you to heal me. And God responds, no. No going to let it remain. I've given this to you because my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is a huge reality of the gospel. That Paul, Paul came to see that God brought, he purposefully brought suffering into Paul's life because Paul said, it is this suffering that is going to demonstrate your weakness. 
It's going to hold you in a place of weakness. And listen, Paul, when you are weak, when you're broken, that is when my power flows through you. It's not when we're strong in and of ourselves that power happens in ministry. It's not when we're strong in and of ourselves that we change. So often we think that in the Christian life. If I'm going to change, if I'm going to fight this area, this struggle, this addiction in my life, then I need to get strong. It doesn't work. Because that's only our power, which is useless. The only thing that we have is the power and the grace of God at work in us. And you know when that comes in our life? When we are weak. That's what Paul began to see. It's in the place of my weakness that God's power comes. Wait a minute. When I'm weak, when I'm broken, when I'm suffering, it's in those places that I come to see who you are. I come to taste and experience your grace and your power works through me. And so Paul says after that, therefore, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. I'm going to boast in it. This is what I'm going to be proud of. Because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong because your power is at work in me. You see, that is the reality of how we grow. It is only in brokenness that we experience the grace of God. It is only in our weakness that we experience His power working through us. It is only in our brokenness that the reality of His grace is real to our hearts. Unless you are broken and able to walk in a place of brokenness, grace will not electrify your heart. It will just be a concept in your head. That's the easiest thing in the world for a Christian. For the concept of God's grace to be a theory in your head. And it doesn't move your heart. Why doesn't it move my heart? Because I'm not broken. Because I've moved out of this realization that I have nothing in and of myself. Jonah gets there and here's what he closes with. I love this. Tim Keller says this is the central verse of the Bible. And I'm like, what? That's a huge statement to say. But look at what he says. This is the last thing that Jonah says before he is spit out of the fish's mouth, before he is redeemed out of the grave, here's what he says. Salvation comes from the Lord. He gets to this place where he realizes salvation comes from the Lord alone. Why would somebody say that's the central verse of the Bible? Because it's the heart of the gospel. See, you, you can't be told this. That's part of the problem. Jonah can't be told this, that, that the only way for you to be saved is by the sheer grace of God. That Jonah, you're more broken than you could ever imagine. And you are so unable to save yourself that it's an absolute impossibility and yet God at great cost to Himself is going to redeem you with His grace. You could tell Jonah that at the beginning of his life and it would have no effect. The same is true for us. We can't just be told about our brokenness. You've got to be shown your brokenness. And that's what God's up to in the circumstances of our life. But it's in the midst of our brokenness. And, and you, you have to see, my need is greater than I even realize. As we say oftentimes that the gospel teaches us, relax, you're more broken than you know. You're more sinful than you know. 
That's the reality of the gospel. When that hits home in your heart, you're in a great place. You're in a great place. But it's only in the midst of the gospel that we come to see salvation belongs to the Lord. It's all of Him. I don't contribute anything to it. All I bring is my need. That's all I have. I'm utterly unable to make myself right before God, but yet at ultimate cost to Himself, God by His grace has come down into the depths for me in the person of Jesus. He's rescued me to Himself. It's all of grace. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's where Jonah got. He got to this place and saying, God, it is all you. You can only get to that place of saying, God, it is only you through brokenness. There is power in our brokenness. So let's close here. And I I just want to ask us a couple questions, then we're going to come to the table for communion. One, have you ever been broken? Have you ever been brought utterly to the end of yourself? And let me secondly ask you right now in your life, is, is, there, is there suffering in your life right now? Is there, is there hardship that you're walking through? Is there loss that you're experiencing? Is there, is there something that's debilitating you with fear and anxiety? Is there, is there something that you just can't beat in your life? Can I just tell you that just like Jonah, that is God's gracious pursuit of you? And the thing to do in that place is to do what Jonah did. And that is just surrender to God. To just give up. To just embrace that brokenness and saying, God, I have nothing to offer you. But I call upon you. Rescue me by your grace. And if that's happened for you in your life, is that how you're seeking to walk daily? Because the place of growth, the place where His grace is so sweet in our life is when we are walking and remaining in a place of brokenness. And brokenness says, nobody needs God's grace more than me. That is the place of brokenness. This morning we get to come to the table. We're taking communion today. We do this the first Sunday of every month. And as we say, you know, communion is an experience of God's grace. And it is a table of brokenness. It's not for people who are put together. Listen, I've oftentimes in my life struggled with when there's communion, I'm thinking to myself, oh no, am I I good enough to come? Am I good enough? How have I been this week? We intuitively think that to experience God's grace and be accepted by Him, I've got to be put together. Let me just tell you, this table is for people who have come apart. In fact, I would say you've got to come apart to come to this table. But if you're coming apart, and if you know your brokenness, and you're in a place where you long for His grace in your life, this table is for you. It's how He feeds us. He meets us at this table. Listen, this is not just a remembrance. We're remembering the gospel at this table. But in some mysterious way, His Spirit meets us with Jesus Himself and ministers to our hearts. So I just invite you, embrace brokenness in your life and come to this table and just receive His grace. And some of us might need to just crawl to this table. But come here and just receive His grace today.
Uh, a few instructions before we pray. We're going to have a prayer of confession where we acknowledge our need of His grace. But let me just say, if this table is communion because it is for those who are in union with Christ, if you're not in union with Christ, if you've not surrendered to Him, or if you're even unsure of where you are, Scripture is very clear you shouldn't take communion. You would be going through the motions of something that's not real in your heart, and Scripture warns us against that. But if you are someone who recognizes your need of His grace, this table just invites us to come and just take in His grace. If you're here this morning and you don't want to take communion, you can just, we, it's kind of extended, we sing throughout this time and come forward and kneel. You can remain seated if you wish not to take communion and just sing and consider uh, consider the passage, consider the words of the song, or you can come forward and be prayed for. If you want to come forward and be prayed for and not receive the elements, just put your hands down like this. It'll let us know you want to be prayed for, but not take the elements. But if you are looking to Christ and He's all you got, He welcomes you to this table to come and feast on Him. So let's pray together as we get ready to come to His table, this prayer of confession. Let me just encourage you, just make this your prayer, not just something we read through. Embrace it. This is true of us, every one of us. Let's pray it together. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved mercy, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. To the glory of your name and for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now take a few moments to confess your sins silently to the Lord.